Hello everyone and welcome to CRAMSurge, clinical research appraisal and methodology for surgical trainees, where we pick a paper fresh from the press on a hot general surgical topic. We review it for you, we present it for you, we critique its methodology for you and provide top-of-the-field expert opinion and teaching on research appraisal and methodology. My name is Gio Perrin and together with Professor Sabobella Subramanian and Maria Digby we bring you CRAMSurge, from the wonderful region of the Yorkshire and the Humber. It's fine. Right. So, uh, I'm going to give you a brief introduction um, about systematic reviews and meta-analysis. Uh, we'll talk about a couple of um, concepts today, and we'll leave the rest for uh, another day. So, I will explain what systematic reviews are, what meta-analyses are, and why we need them. We'll then talk about the PICO framework. We'll talk about the research question and literature searching. So we have done a tutorial on literature searching before. Um, it's there on YouTube if you want to um, do a deep dive. Here I'm going to be extremely brief. Okay, so there are lots of different types of uh, reviews. Educational or narrative review being the type of review that uh, commonly used to be done and published and reported um, a couple of decades ago. And then we moved on to systematic reviews that you all heard of and meta-analysis. So essentially a systematic review attempts to collate all of the evidence there is. And when I say evidence, I mean empiric evidence and quantitative evidence that fits pre-specified eligibility criteria that will help you answer a particular research question. In a systematic review, you use uh, systematic methods that are selected with a view to minimizing bias or confounding. And then you are able to um, provide more reliable findings from which you can draw conclusions and you, you can make decisions. Okay, so... Uh, if you, if you want to describe the key characteristics of the systematic review, you would say it has to be a clearly stated set of objectives with predefined eligibility criteria for the studies that are going to be included in a systematic review. There has to be an explicit and reproducible methodology. The way you've done the review has to be um, replicated easily by other people. It has to incorporate a search strategy that aims to identify all studies that meet your eligibility criteria. So you can't be selective, you can't be prejudiced in choosing studies. You also, in a systematic review, make an assessment of the validity of the conclusions of the studies you're including. For example, if you're including a series of randomized controlled trials, you will need to um, look at the risk of bias um, in these randomized control trials. And then you have to synthesize the information you've got. That information would be characteristics of the included studies and also the results of the included studies. And then you make some conclusions. That's what a systematic review is all about. Yeah. So in some systematic reviews, you may be using statistical methods to summarize the results of the individual studies in the review. And by doing this, i.e. by combining the information from all of the relevant studies, you can provide some very precise estimates of the effects uh, that you uh, would expect to see 
um, uh, as a result of using the intervention that is being studied. Okay. And meta-analysis also facilitate investigations of the consistency of evidence. You know, are all studies saying the same thing? Is the direction of effect similar across the studies? And also you can explore differences between the studies. Okay. So in short, in a single line, meta-analysis um, introduces statistical methods to pull together data from various studies included in the review. Now, so we've got to think about um, why we moved on to systematic reviews. Um, and the answer really is uh, the numerous problems that people have identified with the traditional reviews. Now, traditional reviews are considered very subjective and they're prone to bias. Why? Because traditionally, um, authors that wrote traditional reviews were authors that had that were known for the expertise in the field and they used to be invited by journal editors to say look you're an expert on Barrett's esophagus for example why don't you write us a review on all the risk factors for Barrett's esophagus and often the authors would include their own research into the review and also might be inclined to use studies that support his or her view and studies that support the prevailing notion of the time Okay, so they don't um, uh, necessarily, they're not considered necessarily to be uh, comprehensive. In traditional reviews, when people have attempted to include studies um, that support or, uh, or go against the review, they're often analyzed by simply uh, a process called word counting, just saying, oh, there are 10 studies that support this particular view, there are five studies that support the opposite view, and therefore we'll go with this view. Ignoring the sample size, ignoring the quality of the study, ignoring the effect sizes, and certainly not bringing together the numbers in a way that we would now consider to be summated evidence. And um, these traditional reviews had a huge problem, so they often uh, reach conclusions opposite to each other. And then the conclusion sometimes would depend on the speciality of the reviewer. So if you're comparing, say, best medical treatment with cardiac bypass surgery, the reviews produced by cardiologists and published in medical journals might be different, very different sometimes to reviews produced by cardiothoracic surgeons in the surgical literature. And they simply serve to reinforce people's um, prejudiced views. So these are all the problems with traditional reviews. You might have heard of this before, but I thought it's a good thing to just think about um, before we move on to uh, systematic reviews. So um, I've already explained what systematic um, uh, reviews are. And you can see the hierarchy of evidence in the slide. So at the bottom end of the hierarchy of evidence, you've got expert opinion, anecdotes, and case control studies. And at the top, you've got systematic reviews and meta-analysis, which uh, really um, form the uh, basis of what we consider level one evidence. So, and as I, as I mentioned before, as a quick um, refresher, keep in mind that systematic reviews uh, have clearly stated research question and objectives. Systematic reviews should be um, replicable, should be relevant, meaning answer a question that clinicians um, have at that particular point in time, uses explicit and justified methods, uses explicit and justified inclusion and exclusion criteria as well. I also mentioned to you right at the beginning that these reviews have to be comprehensive and that they should identify as many studies as possible and consider all the evidence. And then 
And if you do a systematic review of um, uh, good quality randomized control studies, then that is uh, what we consider as level one evidence in the hierarchy of evidence. So uh, we do systematic reviews um, again to uh, it, we're using a very structured reporting format. Why? Because that will clearly present the characteristic of each study and also include a clear analysis of the results. Like I mentioned before, um, we also need to assess the quality of each study and report on the quality of each study. And it may be that you decide as part of your review process that you might exclude poor quality studies or studies of um, specific designs that don't necessarily contribute to, um, to good quality evidence. And when you combine a lot of small studies, then you increase the power of your systematic review. And, and, uh, and this is where if you bring together the effect sizes and the data um, and the data from each of these small studies using a meta-analysis, then um, you have a lot more uh, power. In other words, um, your ability to um, prove a difference or to reject the null hypothesis, if the null hypothesis was indeed false, goes up because you're able to combine the data from many studies. And the results of uh, the systematic reviews um, informs cost-effectiveness modeling. And this is what NICE, um, you've probably heard of NICE uh, in, in England, when they make decisions about funding, and then they use evidence from systematic reviews uh, along with cost to determine cost-effectiveness. And then uh, as... Um, Clinicians, frontline clinicians, it's really important for us to uh, be able to rely on uh, um, systematic reviews because there's just so many, uh, so much in the literature, uh, and you will often find that there's an ocean of information um, that you're exposed to. Um, and if you have somebody that has actually gone through the information in detail and brought them all together, then that's really helpful. Okay, so. A bit more about uh, meta-analysis. Like I said before, if you're using a statistical method to combine the results of individual studies, that's a meta-analysis. And there's another, there are a couple of definitions on the screen. Uh, the second more detailed definition is, uh, uh, you can see on the screen as well, in the lower half of the screen. And essentially, a meta-analysis, they say, is a quantitative method of combining the results of individual studies, synthesizing the summaries and conclusions, and then you can use this to evaluate how effective a particular treatment is. And um, if the evidence is not strong or equivocal, then you plan new studies. Okay, so um, the specific um, reasons why you would do a meta-analysis in addition to a systematic review, in other words, you do a summated, uh, uh, you use statistical methods to provide a summative estimate, um, are as uh, following. One is you improve the precision of the estimate of the treatment effect. So by pulling to, um, together the results of many studies, what happens is you're able to say more confidently that let's say treatment X is five times better than treatment Y. Uh, and then the confidence interval is very narrow around um, the number five. And you can say that five is actually um, the actual um, effect size with much more confidence. Um, if you have two or three studies in your review with conflicting results and the studies are otherwise very similar, uh, you can establish statistical significance by combining the data from the studies. 
And also you can provide a really comprehensive analysis of all of the harms of the treatment and all of the benefits of the treatment in a way that you really can't do with individual studies or in just a systematic review where simply uh, describe the results of the individual studies. You can't do that. And in a meta-analysis, you have the ability to weigh the studies that are better quality, that have huge sample sizes, and surely a study with a lot more patients uh, should be weighed more than a study with, uh, with uh, very small numbers of patients, and a meta-analysis will allow you to do that. And if there are subgroups of patients where a particular treatment may not be effective or may be effective, results from individual studies are difficult to um, draw too many conclusions of with, in relation to subgroups. And again, a meta-analysis will help you do that. Now, ideally, you do a meta-analysis um, using studies that are very similar to each other. And this is where the concept of heterogeneity comes in. We'll talk about it um, uh, probably next time. But essentially, uh, keep in mind that if you're doing a meta-analysis, you need to be doing it on similar studies, studies that are similar in several ways. And in the ideal world, you ought to be doing meta-analysis on both published data sets and non-published data sets, which can often be a problem. Uh, you may not get access to non-published data sets, um, and non-published data sets are often um, studies that do not have positive results and therefore um, do not make it into publication. You've probably all seen this figure before. This is the um, figure or the logo of the Cochrane Collaboration, which is an international collaboration and that promotes the use of systematic reviews and meta-analysis in the study of interventions in medicine and healthcare. Now, the interesting thing about the logo is that this diagram actually shows you the results of the systematic review of trials of a quite a short, inexpensive course of steroids given to women about to give birth too early. So uh, you probably know that if you give steroids to uh, um, women who might be going to premature labor, that reduces the odds of the babies dying from complications of immaturity. Now, um, um, many decades ago, this wasn't very clear. There was an RCT in the 1970s that uh, talked about the potential use of steroids um, um, to reduce complications of immaturity. And then there were a few more RCTs and it took quite a while to bring together the results of these RCTs in a meta-analysis to then convincingly show that the complications of immaturity could be reduced by 30 to 50%. And until then, obstetricians um, were debating as to whether steroids really are useful or whether it is just a placebo effect. And um, it, it took a while for, for people to then um, look at the results of the meta-analysis and then agree that corticosteroids are extremely useful. Um, but uh, because meta-analysis and systematic uh, reviews were not um, you know, widely understood, it took a long time and uh, people estimate that tens of thousands of premature babies probably could have been saved um, if the um, this, uh, systematic review was done a bit early and if the results of the systematic review were taken seriously as opposed to just people relying on the results of individual RCTs. Um, the Cochrane collaboration favors systematic reviews and meta-analysis of um, randomized controlled trials. 
there are lots of reviews that are published even today that don't necessarily um, have the Cochrane uh, logo or approval of the Cochrane collaboration. Um, they're not necessarily invalid, um, but um, uh, usually they are reviews where uh, you include studies of very different kinds, and often those uh, non-Cochrane reviews do not necessarily include meta-analysis. Now, Cochrane reviews are particularly good for very simple questions, for more complicated questions, where the studies come in different shapes and sizes and designs. The Cochrane reviews are not very good. Cochrane reviews are also very good for very clear-cut review questions. Is A better than B? Um, straightforward questions. Uh, Cochrane reviews are good. They've got a very rigid methodology. That is also one of the downsides, so you can't really use it for complicated questions. And the Cochrane reviews have a lot of emphasis on what we call uh, or refer to as internal validity, uh, where they're looking at the quality of the studies, not necessarily whether the studies are gen study results are generalizable, but whether the studies have been done to a really good standard. So, um, what are the stages, stages of a typical systematic review? Now, you've probably um, come across this before. You're probably familiar with, with this, so I won't dwell on this. But the really important thing to emphasize on is that you have to start off with a research question that is clear, well-defined, and answerable. If you don't have a clear research question, then, then you're starting off on the wrong foot. Then you want to write your protocol in detail before you start off doing literature searches, sifting through all the papers that you think um, meet your um, eligibility criteria, then you quality assess the papers, um, focusing on internal validity. Then you start to extract the data from the papers that you think should be included, and you put the evidence together, um, which uh, comes under the uh, um, heading of evidence synthesis, and then you write and uh, disseminate your findings. Okay, so um, a couple of points about research question. Um, so a research question for a systematic review should really ideally follow the PICO or the PCOS format. So we've already um, uh, talked about this before today and previously. So P stands for population, who the research is about, and what particular condition, what kinds of patients, and so on. Intervention or exposure um, essentially is uh, what's being done to them, what particular procedure or operation. Comparator is the alternative, um, another group of patients who have not had the intervention. Outcomes, uh, usually you've got to have one primary outcome in mind and perhaps a variety of secondary outcomes, um, but the primary outcome should be, you know, obviously one that is clinically relevant and one that you can, uh, uh, that is feasible to study. And study type is important in a systematic review because if you're doing a Cochrane review, then ideally you want to include only randomized controlled trials. Sometimes you may not find randomized controlled trials when, uh, and then you might have to do a systematic review of just observational studies. So uh, defining that is also important. And the research question um, that you formulate, you write down, is important to then determine the search strategy especially the population and the intervention parts of the research question um, will help you determine your search strategy and your inclusion and exclusion criteria. Right, a couple of uh, quick words about uh, literature searching. So um, uh, you search the literature using keywords and to decide on the keywords, you think about the population, 
and the intervention, particularly the comparator will follow later, but, uh, but the most important uh, aspects of your literature search, any keywords, choice of keywords um, should be your population and intervention. And uh, when you're selecting keywords, you've got to think about alternatives. You've got to think about whether you want to restrict to mesh type um, headings or free text. And then again, I'm going to keep this very brief. You can uh, look up our literature searching tutorial uh, on YouTube if you like. Um, so uh, when you're combining keywords, you've got to think about whether you want to use um, the Boolean operator and or or. And also, finally, you want to think about whether you're going to specify um, some filters. Now, if you're going to look up um, or do a review on robotic uh, liver section, for example, there really isn't much point in looking at papers from the 80s and 90s. So obviously you will filter by year of publication. If you think you are not going to be able to do a very comprehensive review that involves lots of uh, papers in different languages because you don't have facilities to, to, uh, to translate, then obviously you will restrict your uh, searches to the English language and so on and so forth. Uh, I've got a, a nice little link on more on filters if you want to have a look. Um, then uh, what, what, what are you searching? You've got your keywords, you've got your Boolean operators, you've got a plan. So um, which databases will you be searching? There are lots and lots of different databases these days that you can search. And what you've got to keep in mind is that your search has to be comprehensive. Why comprehensive? It has to be comprehensive so that you can overcome bias. Um, you know, if you have um, studies with some dramatic results, they'll be much easier to find than studies that have very subtle uh, findings. So to overcome bias, you want to include all types of uh, study results. And also, um, if you only find a few studies, then effectively you have less information. And that can limit the precision of your uh, conclusions, of your effect size. So you want to um, include as much information as you possibly can. So um, one way of including as much information is to make sure you search at least two databases, maybe even three. Some people would uh, um, search at the um, search some key relevant journals where they think articles might be published that may not necessarily be picked up on searches. Some people will look at bibliography of the included papers and um, search uh, similar articles or linked articles to the articles that, are, that they've already found. It's also a good idea to go, go through clinical trial registries. There might be some papers that might come out um, in, the, in the near future. It might be useful to include them, or um, you might find trials in, in the registries that have not been published, but have been done a while ago, and you might want to contact the authors to uh, get more data. This is gray literature, which uh, not, not a lot of reviews um, include. Um, but if you want to be super comprehensive, that's worth thinking about. Um, so, Finally, in summary, the um, uh, search strategy um, should be based on the research question, um, which is should, which should be in the framework of the PCOS. And the strategy should be clear and transparent. It should be rigorous, comprehensive, as we said before, and also easy to replicate, or it should be reproducible. Somebody else should come, uh, um, should be able to come forward and use the same terms, use the same electronic databases and get a similar number of um, relevant articles. Okay, I think I will stop there. And next time we'll talk about heterogeneity. Thank you everyone for tuning in and listening. 
Until next time, keep priming your life with our surgical podcast.